Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of What You're Reading. Today's episode will go alongside the blog post for January 6th. As always, in that post, I will link to all the books, the quotes, and anything else that I mention. You can find that entry on tbqsbookpalace.com. While you're at it, feel free to find me on social media as well. For Twitter, that is the underscore book underscore queen. I'm listed under the same name for my Goodreads. Instagram is Danielle underscore TBQ. And if Tumblr is your thing, you've got two options. My safe for work Tumblr is the dash book dash queen dot Tumblr dot com. While my completely not safe for work, no, seriously, I warned you, this is just porn here. Tumblr is TBQ after dark dot Tumblr dot com. Pick your social media poison and come join the fun. Welcome to 2018. I hope that it is much better to us than 2017 was. However, I do have to wonder if that'll be the case, because I never in a million years imagined that just within, what, a day or two of the new year? Hell, it doesn't matter what time it would have happened. It could have been the middle of June. My point is, I never imagined that fuckface would have decided to take to Twitter to compare dick sizes while believing that the Staples easy button on his desk is what sets off the nukes. Oh, you guys, 2018 is going to be a long fucking bitch. The one good thing, I suppose, since we're talking about politics, is Senator Orrin Hatch is apparently stepping down, finally. That's one of my senators. And I am just praying and hoping that Utah gets its shit in gear, uh, similar to what was managed to be pulled off down in Alabama, and... Put in someone who is not another Republican. However, my hopes are not that high because it's not like we have a, you know, pedophilia running for the opposite office to uh, try and convince people to switch from Republican to Democrat. But you know what? We never, nobody ever thought that was going to happen in Alabama and it did. So fingers crossed, maybe that'll happen here in Utah and we can get a little bit more help in the Senate. Um, once again... If you didn't know, I do not shy away from talking politics or letting my stance be known. If that is a problem to you, bye. But I'm not going to shut up. It's not going to be the point of my podcast, but um, I'm not going to pretend that politics doesn't happen and that the world is not on fire. So, all that out of the way, once again, I hope that 2018 is much better to you than 2017 might have been. So one of my Christmas gifts was a cookbook, um, How to Cook Like a Gilmore. It's the unofficial little cookbook that ties into the Gilmore Girls, which I am a huge fan of that show. It is really is one of the only maybe one or two shows in my life that I've ever watched from like first season to the end multiple times, and I love it. Anyway, I got that cookbook, and I decided to make some muffins from it, um, orange glazed muffins. Oh, they're so good. They're so good. Now, I own the like the hardback copy of it, so um, I just had to like take a picture of the recipe page, but I will leave a link to that and like the little notes of how I changed the recipe to what I had on hand, which wasn't a whole lot of major changes, but they turned out really, really good, and um, yeah, I will be making the muffins again, and I will definitely be trying out more recipes from that cookbook. I believe... 
at least if it hasn't changed, the cookbook on Kindle is still $2.99. So, I mean, if you're interested in it, grab that Kindle copy and save yourself some money. Definitely worth it, especially if you're a fan of the show. I don't really have anything to talk about from, you know, Twitter or Romance Landia in general. At least nothing that really stood out, nothing that I took the time to prepare any sort of a discussion on, so sorry. Um, I do have a little, I suppose, mini rant, but, um, you know, it's probably one you've already heard. It's just, why do people bash on romance novels again? But let's get into it anyway. So once again, I was kind of randomly going through some reviews uh, while I was creating the book deals for the day, and I noticed one that was complaining that they don't read romance novels because the plots are non-existent, and the characters are shallow and annoying, and the writing and grammar is terrible, to which all I can say is... I don't know what the fuck books you've been reading, person, but you are reading the wrong ones because the romance novels that I read are none of those things at all. Now, sure, just like any other genre, any other book out there, you're going to run across a dud. You're going to run across one now and then that maybe was not the best writing or more often than not, it's not the best editing if there's editing at all. Uh, or you're going to get one where maybe the characters are not the strongest or the plot is kind of weak. Like, you're going to get that in any genre, any book you pick up. You're going to get good ones and bad ones. That's just the way it is. But to think that an entire genre is horrible and is badly written is just... It's the same shit, different day, right? It's just the same shit, different day. But the other thing that really got me in that review was she also compared it to junk food. I am so fucking tired of people comparing pretty much romance novels exclusively, although I suppose some people treat genre fiction in general this way, but let's be honest, it is 99.9% .9 romance novels that get this level of shit. Uh, but I'm tired of people calling romance novels junk food and guilty pleasures and, you know, fluffy bits of nonsense. I mean, there's a million different terms that people come up with, right? That means basically the same thing. Those books are meaningless, is what it says. Those books have nothing to offer. Those books are garbage that's interchangeable from one to the next. Those books are bad for you. Those books are horrible. Those books are garbage. No, they're not, actually. They're not junk food. They're not guilty pleasures. They're not garbage, they're not interchangeable, they're not, they are not unimportant. You know, it's a very elitist view when you think that the only thing that is worth reading, the only thing that offers you anything is a book that is an old classic or uh, a big name literary fiction of today or a moving autobiography or whatever shit that you wish to label as this is what is proper and right for you to read and anything else is just garbage that is going to rot your brain. That is such an elitist view and it needs to stop. It needs to stop. You can read whatever you want. Whatever you like to read is important. It is valid. It has a purpose. You don't have to learn something groundbreaking and world 
uh, altering from a book in order for that book to be good or that book to be valid or that book to be important. That's not how reading works. And to imply such, like I said, that is an elitist view that I would like to have hoped we would have grown out of in 2018, but um, <clears throat> no, of course not. That's asking too much. But it's the fact that it is almost always romance novels that really gets this treatment, gets it the worst at least. And I'm just here to tell you that romance novels offer a lot. You can learn a lot within them. And people who don't take the genre serious, people who have never read one, they scoff at that. You can learn something from them. <laughs> like what? How to give a blowjob? You know what? Maybe you can. What's so wrong if that was the only thing you learned from a romance novel? First off, what's wrong with that? Seriously, answer me. What's wrong with that? Learning how to better please a partner? Is there is there something so horrible about that? I don't think so. But, you know, let's be honest. Most romance novels don't really teach us that. Or if they do, that's not the only thing they teach us. But if that was, if that was literally the only thing any romance novel ever taught you was how to have sex, what would be so bad about that? Oh, right, because our civilization is um, sex-obsessed while also sex afraid at the same time and sex shaming and sex phobic and just uh, society get your shit together but you can learn so much from romance novels and i know i've had this discussion before on twitter on the blog whatever with different readers about the different things that you can learn from a book a lot of authors put a lot of research and time and effort into what they write doesn't matter the genre I know many, including myself, who's like, you know what, The most of what I know about historical setting is from romance novels. I didn't learn that in history class. I didn't learn that from picking up a history book, but I learned it from reading about the Victorian era and the Regency era and whatever else. And you know what, you can. Some people learn, you know, things that are just as important, even if it's not something you can learn from an actual textbook. You you might learn how to better communicate with people. You might learn how to build good relationships, both romantic relationships and platonic and familiar and everything else. You might learn how to, you know, find yourself literally in a book. You can learn about your sexuality and how to embrace it, whether that's um, you know, who you're attracted to or what you like in the bedroom. You might learn about your gender expression from a book and what you identify as. I mean, what you can learn from a romance novel is infinite. And for a person to think that you can't learn anything from them, and so therefore they're just a waste of time, they're just junk food that just rots out your brain or whatever that's bad for your body, that's that's the idea, right? Junk food, bad for the body. If the book is junk food, it's bad for the brain. That's that's kind of the correlation they're drawing there. To think that is not just wrong, but you're also implying that everyone who has learned something, who has found comfort and empowerment and connection, all of that, people who have found that in a romance novel, you're telling them that that was an invalid experience. Fuck you. Fuck you. Romance novels are not junk food. They are a fucking five-course meal at the best restaurant that you will never get into. And I'm sorry that you're never going to be able to experience that. You're missing out. What romance novels have to offer, you're not going to find in literary fiction. You're not going to find it in classics. You're not going to find it in autobiographies and nonfiction and whatever else you read. 
Now, am I saying that romance is better than everything else? No, because that's also a form of judging what people are reading. But romance is just as valid, just as important, just as amazing as whatever you choose to read. But you choose to look down on another genre while you read what you read. I choose to love what I read, and even if I'm not going to read literary fiction or old classics, I'm not going to judge you for reading and liking them. One of us is on the right page there, and one of us is not. And it has nothing to do with what we choose to read. It's about whether or not we choose to judge others for what they read. Maybe it'll change. I'd like to hope, still, that this will suddenly one day change. But I know better. I know that there's too much that would have to change in our society from the ground up for people to start actually giving a shit or even just basic respect for the romance novel. Because, ew, it's written by women for women about women and sex and relationships, and it's, it's garbage to the rest of the world. That's okay. They can think it's garbage. We know that it means the actual world to many of us. And we've been lucky enough to find an amazing community of other readers who understand and don't make fun of us for it. So I think we're good. They can keep saying whatever they want about the genre. We'll just sit here and continue to read our blowjob handbooks and be happy about it. I could go on, but nope, we'll just we'll just drop it there. Blowjob handbooks. Listen, if somebody wants to write that, no, I'm just kidding. I mean, you could. You could totally write that. Um, and honestly, I think a few authors that are really damn good about writing sex, probably already have a blowjob handbook going on in their story. I'm not complaining about it. Nope, not complaining about it. Moving on to the blog recap for the week. First, Pat reviewed Every Dog Has His Day by Jen McKinley, which came out just this week. She gave it five stars, making it a royal pick for January. This is the first novel I read by Miss McKinley, and it certainly won't be the last. There is a lot of humor, friends, small-town fun, and a very sexy romance, not to mention an awesome dog and cat. I mean, really, what more could you ask for, right? Next, Brooklyn Ann stopped by the blog to talk about her latest paranormal historical, The Highwayman's Bite. She did a wonderful guest post on subverting the Stockholm Syndrome trope and how to write about a heroine being kidnapped by the hero without it turning into a, ew, that's not romantic, that's harmful situation. There's also a giveaway for a print copy of the book, Open International, which ends on the 7th, a.k.a. tomorrow, if you're listening to this. And finally, Jen, Pat, and I all shared our 2017 favorites. There's a bit of everything on these lists, and all the books made our 2017 just a little bit better. Come see what ones we picked and tell us your 2017 favorites. There were also the usual posts up this week, lusting for covers on Sunday, new releases on Tuesday, and daily book deals Monday through Saturday with a recap of the deals on Sunday. I apologize in advance to your one-click finger while also encouraging you to go treat yourself to a new book. Or ten. Hey, I won't tell. Next week... 
Pat has a contemporary romance that she really enjoyed. Jen shares a five-star review for an upcoming MM romance. And Jen also has a fun post planned, Who Did It Better in an Elevator? You don't want to miss it. As to my reading week, I managed to finish two books. That's it. Two books. It's a slow start for the year, okay? And I really have no excuse other than I need a lot more hours in the day to get done all of the shit I need to get done and still be able to read. But, you know, that's not what you're here for to hear me complain. A quick content warning for you. When I start to talk about Ronnie Lauren's book, The Ones Who Got Away, uh, which is the second book that I'm going to talk about during this podcast, that book is set against the backdrop, or rather the backstory, I suppose, of a school shooting. I don't go into a lot of details about it, neither does the book for that matter, but just be warned that that is what the book is about, and that is what I do mention during it. If that is a no-go for you, when you get to me mentioning that book, maybe go forward, I don't know, nine or ten minutes until that's that'll be the end of that discussion. Not that I talk about the shooting the entire time, but I mean, that would get you through to the end of that and on to the rest of the podcast. So, just a heads up. So, I only have two discussions for you this week, but uh, without further ado, let's get into them. First up, I finished my audiobook, Heart of Iron, by Beck McMaster, narrated by Alison Larkin. I'm giving this one four stars. This was actually my last book of 2017, bringing my total for the year up to 231 books. Damn, that is a pretty good year for me, period. A lot of that is definitely thanks to audiobooks and especially thanks to Overdrive for providing me with so many. And they're free, of course, which is definitely the best part because if I had to still buy them or use Audible or whatever, I can promise you one audiobook a month would have been my book budget limit. Instead, I probably do at least one or two a week. Okay, of course, back to the book itself. Lena, that is Helena, is the younger sister to the heroine from book one. Lena has always wanted to be part of the vampire high society, and she's been working her way towards it over the years. Then she started working with the group that calls themselves the Humanist, and she was doing some spy work for them. However, this group isn't exactly as it seems, and soon she's being targeted for working with them perhaps even targeted by the group itself? Will is like the bodyguard and best friend to the hero from book one. Will and Lena met three years ago, but it's only now, during the course of this book, that they start to act on their feelings in any way. Oh, and did I mention that Will is Scottish and a werewolf, which this world calls a werewolf, but whatever, I'm sticking to werewolf, thank you. And as the cherry on top, Will is also a virgin. See, the werewolf virus is transferred by blood, like a bite or a wound, as well as by semen. So no fucking for Will, since he's not going to turn anyone, let alone a random lover, into a werewolf. And he hasn't had any contact with others like him over the years either. Because of all this, he tries so hard to keep away from Lana, but Lana is not having that, and soon he's finding it harder and harder to resist her. 
I mentioned last week in a very long ramble that went nowhere uh, that I think this might be a series that I need to read at least the first time through rather than listen to it. I'm not sure if it's the type of story that's being told, you know, a, a paranormal type world, or if it's the writing itself, or if it's just the narrator, though nothing about her performance bothered me and nothing about the writing bothered me, but whatever it was, I often had a difficult time staying focused while listening and I'd find my mind wandering only to come back and realize I just missed like 10 minutes of the story and didn't actually take any of it in and so I'd be lost. Um, when that happens repeatedly, that's not a good thing. Like, that's not a good thing for you being able to keep up with the story itself. And I really don't blame the story. When I do pick up book three, I'm going to grab the ebook instead and see if that helps me to stay in the story anymore, because I really do enjoy this world, and I've enjoyed McMaster's writing, and I thought I was enjoying the narration as well, since nothing bothered me about it, but like I said, something was off just enough to keep me from focusing. Though to be completely fair, at least part of the problem is me and my inability to focus at times because, um, fuck you, stress and anxiety, but whatever. I'll try reading the rest of the series and see how that goes as far as keeping up with the actual storyline itself. As to this one, I really enjoyed it, but because of that whole focusing issue I just went on about, I don't have a lot to talk about specifically here. Just the simple fact that I enjoyed it and I like this world, a world which is still being developed and explained, something that I kind of complained about after book one, and I still have some of those questions now, but I heard from more than a few readers that things are explained more as the series unfolds, so I will sit back and I will continue and um, hopefully there won't be questions by the time this is all finished. Let's talk about the sex real quick, because their scenes are quite hot. What I really loved was when, together, they find out what Lena likes. You know, he's a virgin, remember? And there's nothing more annoying in Romancelandia than a hero magically knowing the heroine's orgasm secrets better than she does. Unless it's a hero who knows her orgasm secrets better than she does, and he's a virgin. But that's not the case here. Oh, their first time isn't awkward or anything by any means, though that would have been kind of nice to read about, considering they're both virgins, but whatever. But in their first scene together, he starts fingering her, and while it feels great and it's definitely building up to something, it's her telling him, there, that spot, you just hit, do it again and again and again, and don't stop, please don't stop, just hit right there. That's what finally gets her to orgasm, and that was so damn hot to read. Hold on. Rewind a moment. Why don't I just read you that part of the scene? Welcome to TBQ Reads Sex Scenes. I'd say sorry if this gets awkward, but fuck it, I'm not sorry, and we all know it. Lena lifted her hips to his hand, silently demanding more. The world narrowed, becoming little more than the sound of shifting sheets and soft sighs and the feel of his fingers pumping within her. Something beckoned, and sensation she knew she wanted to feel. Tossing her head from side to side, she tried to find it, tried to push harder against his hand. Will's thumbs rode over the nub of her flesh, and she clenched with a gasp, grabbing at his wrist. There, she whispered desperately, right there. Here? A thumb pressed hard against her. She cried out, her hips lifting higher, so close, 
almost. The edge threatened to collapse beneath her, and his thumb rode her again. There! Lena screamed as sensation rode through her, blinding her to all else. Nothing but the feel of his body remained, his fingers driving deep within her, claiming her as she wished his body could. Too much. She cried out and caught his hand, clenching her knees tight together as she rolled onto her side. Gasping, her face pressed into the sheets, she came back to the world slowly. Will curled around her, his face nuzzling the back of her neck and his shaft pressed against her bottom. My horrible narration aside, if that doesn't hit you in the, uh, the gut, shall we say, <laughs> then I don't know what will. Lucky Lena, that's all I'm saying. Also, the rest of their scenes are also quite steamy, not just that first one. One more thing, um, which, yeah, is from that same sex scene, actually. But this exchange might have made me swoon just a bit. Or a lot. Definitely a lot. His expression softened. Still fierce in his desire, the odd hint of longing shaped his mouth. You're beautiful. Gently, he traced her collarbone, his fingers tickling over her skin. They raked lower, drawing gentle circles around her left breast. Perfect. Too small, she whispered. He leaned against her side, one leg thrown over hers. Capturing her gaze, he slid his rough palm over her breast, cupping it. Perfect, he growled, and lowered his head. I mean, damn. For so many reasons, damn. Uh... But just the fact that he's like, hey, no, your body is just fucking perfect the way it is. Doesn't matter how big or small your breasts are, you're perfect. That will always get me right in the feels. So I'm definitely looking forward to the next book. I forgot how much fun a good para-historical series like this is. And like I said, I'm going to try it in ebook and see if things work out better for me. It's not that this was horrible, but... I feel like I wasn't always getting the full story, and it was totally my own fault for not being able to focus on it. I just, I don't know. It's just been an odd experiment with listening to this series. I still need to finish Kristen Callahan's series, which I love, and I have no damn clue how I stopped after book five? Four? I know I've still got a couple left, that's what I know, and I don't own them, so... I'm hoping my library will get them. I doubt it. Um, anyway, I also need to finish up Mel Jean Brooks' steampunk series and this series, of course. But if you have any other steampunk parahistorical romances to recommend, let me know so I can add them to the giant old list. Next up, I finished The Ones Who Got Away by Ronnie Lauren, which came out this week. This one gets four and a half stars, making it a royal pick for January. Remember, the giveaway for January goes up on the 25th and will end on the 28th, so mark your calendar to check back so you don't miss it. By the way, this was my first book finished for 2018. According to Goodreads, I'm ahead of schedule for my reading goal. Let's see how long that holds up because I have not been reading hardly any this week, so it's not looking good. But, you know, I've got 12 months to fix it, so it's okay. Liv and Finn were secretly hooking up in high school. His family comes from money, while her father was the landscaper. Liv, by the way, is a heroine of color. She's Latina. 
Finn knew his dad was a complete dick and would have treated Liv badly because of the class differences and because of, hey, hello, the color of their skin. Again, he was a dick. Um, so Finn thought that seeing each other on the down low was actually going to protect her in that way. Instead, of course, that hurts her, making her believe she wasn't worthy of dating him, of being with him. But secret dating is the least of their problems when their entire world changed on prom night as two students came into the school and started shooting, killing dozens and wounding even more. Now, years later, the two of them are back at the school for an anniversary documentary that's going on, and there's some unfinished shit between them, to put it mildly. Liv's passion was always photography, but rather than following her dreams, she went with the safe route and became a graphic designer working at a successful company in the city. Finn went to work for the FBI specifically to go after the criminal group that sold the guns to those students, as well as selling to hundreds of other shooters in the U.S. over the years. For the last two years, Finn has been deep, deep undercover in a different criminal group's inner circle, hoping to get information that would lead him to the men that he's actually after. Instead, things went south and he just managed to get out without completely getting caught. There was one guy that found out, but um, hey, that guy is now dead. So he just managed to get out without having his cover completely blown and without being killed himself. Now he's supposed to be taking a break and proving to his boss that he can still handle going back into the field. Liv offers to help him for the summer so he can readjust to being in the civilian world and having connections to friends and family and all that shit, and he wants to help her by pushing her to go after her passion of photography again. They soon realize that they cannot keep it platonic, no matter how hard they try to ignore one another, and slowly the two fall into bed and fall into love. Oh, this book. You guys, this book... Is so good. It's emotional. Of course it would be with this type of a subject matter, right? But it's raw and beautiful and hopeful. And I know that many readers will pass on this book because of the story, and I get that. I do. I know when the arcs for it first came out, it was shortly after one of our last shootings. And fuck, I hate that I have to say it that way. One of our last shootings. Because there's so fucking many of them that the passage of time between them just starts to blur together and we have to say something like, oh yeah, it just happened during our last shooting. Like I was just saying, oh, it just happened, you know, on a casual Monday or something. Like, fuck that. I hate that that's what our, our country has come to that I have to phrase it that way. Anyway. This isn't an easy story, and for some, it's one that they don't want to read about, and I respect that. I loved seeing this story, though, not because of the shooting, fuck no, no, but seeing these two survivors of such a horrible tragedy pull themselves out of the painful past and find their lives again and find love, that, that kind of story is always super important, and Ronnie Lauren did a great job handling it, in my opinion. I wish the story didn't have to be told. I wish we lived in a world where we didn't need a story like this because shit like this didn't happen to begin with. But it does, for now, and I want it to stop right the fuck now, but that's a different conversation. 
There's definitely talk about the shooting and the aftermath. We see how it's affected Liv and Finn, things like anxiety and PTSD, as well as survivor guilt, and just being hounded by the media and every damn person on the street about, you know, about them surviving, about what it was like there. They can't get away from that no matter how much time has passed. But I never felt like that was being shoved down my throat. It wasn't overpowering. It was just part of the backstory for these two. It's how they survive and move forward. That's the main focus of this story, alongside them finally being able to fall in love again with one another. I loved seeing Liv finally find her life, her dreams again, and seeing her walk away from a job that was slowly smothering her. I loved seeing Finn find his center as well and learn that he doesn't need to always be the hero. I need to clarify something. Here's what I mean by it's not shoved in your face. The details of the shooting are not shared and definitely not in any sort of gruesome or grotesque details. Thank God. But the story is still emotionally heavy because of how much the shooting obviously affected the survivors and just the town and the people, you know, that live there in general. So this isn't a light read, but it's also not as dark and heavy as someone else might have written it to be, you know, because unfortunately I can easily picture another author taking more of a thriller type approach to this and there'd be just gore everywhere in that story, right? So that is not what Ronnie Lauren does here. It's still very heavy. It's still very intense. But the actual shooting is not in your face. I guess that's the easiest way that I can clarify it. One small complaint I had, and it is truly small, I get that, was their text messages. It's 2018. Okay, you know, 2017 or 2016, whenever this was actually written. Um, and these two are grown-ass adults. Yet their text messages read like something from a tween in the early 2000s or something. A lot of the R's and U's and C's and annoying abbreviations, it would throw me out of the scene. Luckily, they didn't have a lot of text conversations in the book, but still, just like dialogue should always feel realistic, both to how people communicate, but also authentic to the characters themselves, text messages and the like, emails, stuff like that, they should also be realistic. And these ones in here just were not. Like I said, it's a small thing, especially since it's not a very big part of the book as far as, um, you know, how many passages there are. But it was something that just kind of bothered me. I think the only other thing I would complain about maybe, and I don't know if I can because maybe it'll come up in the future books, but we're kind of left hanging with what's going on trying to find who sold the guns. Um, and so, I'm, I don't know, I'm just not sure if it's that it was just kind of dropped as part of the plot towards the end for them to have their happily ever after, or if it's just something that's going to unfold over the course of the rest of the series. I'll just have to wait and see, but it was something that I did take note of by the time I reached the end, that that had just kind of flew away and that was no longer being addressed. Like I said, we'll see how it turns out, though. 
but really that's about it as far as notable complaints. Everything else gets a thumbs up from me. Don't worry, I didn't forget about the sex. Who would I be if I skipped that part? As I said before, it is a slow burn between these two, which fits their characters and the story being told, so I was happy with that. I was okay with that. Especially for Liv, who spent some of her time um, in early college years where she thought that the only way to escape everything that was going on and all the stress and, you know, just the memories and all of that was to get drunk and to get high and to go find random guys while she was drunk and high. And she's pulled herself back away from that so that she can actually, you know, try to face her demons rather than try to take care of them in those very unhealthy ways. I mean, these were guys that she even admitted she would never have hooked up with them if she was sober because they weren't necessarily all, you know, good guys. They were literally random guys that she knew nothing about and she was fucking them while they were both high or drunk, which is never a safe thing for anyone to do. So my point is, because of that in her past, now she is very much more careful about choosing her partners and about, um, you know, opening up in that way. So because of that, you know, it would have been against her character if these two, even with the past that they had as teenagers, if these two had just fallen into bed in the first few pages. It just wouldn't have fit. So I was okay, surprisingly, with the fact that I don't think we had a sex scene until... I don't know, 60% in probably, somewhere around that. And I was okay with it because, again, it fits the characters, fits the story. So there's some great dirty talk, some fantastic orgasms, of course, and even a discussion about what position works best for her so that she can get off again through intercourse and, you know, clit stimulation, of course, because she's usually only a one-orgasm-per-night gal. Of course, this is Romance Landia, and she's just found her forever guy, so suddenly she can be a multiple-orgasm-per-night gal. You know, on the one hand, you might kind of roll your eyes and say that's not realistic. On the other hand, you know what, maybe it kind of is if you find the right person that you feel you can trust and that you guys have good communication going in bed. Like, whatever. Again, sexuality and arousal and all of that is just a tricky bitch. So it's kind of hard sometimes to say, well, that's not realistic. How do you know? If you've not had, like, literally every single sexual experience in your life with every person possible, like... Sometimes I just sit back and go, really, can we say this thing is not possible in real life? I mean, there are exceptions. There are some some crazy shit that Romance Landia does that you're like, yeah, that's not possible. That's definitely not possible. But then there's other stuff that's like, maybe it's not typical, but it is possible. Anyway, that was kind of a bit of a tangent. Maybe that'll be the subtitle for this entire podcast. Sorry, that was a tangent. Because I seem to do that a lot. Back to the sex. I loved every minute of it. There's not as much sex as you'll find in Lauren's more erotic stories that she has out, which is understandable. This one is a romance, not an erotica or erotic romance. But again, what we get here fit this couple, and that's what matters the most. My heart was definitely aching for these two along the way, but the journey was worth it, and their happily ever after was satisfying. Okay, how about a couple of quotes that stood out for me? 
just a couple of them, but I will leave the link, as always, to the rest of the quotes which I shared on Twitter. If she'd learned anything, it was that being a survivor was layered and complicated and painful and beautiful. Broken glass still makes art, sometimes the most beautiful kind. Here's one that's a little bit more of a sense of humor that Ronnie Lauren has. I'm a big boy. I can handle myself. Did you just say big and handle yourself? He smirked all male confidence. Now whose mind is in the gutter? And yes, on both. I'm a pro at handling myself. PhD level, in fact. That joke, PhD level, comes into play a couple other scenes. It's good. Okay, final one, I swear. I want to lick all this rain off you, he said against her skin as he kissed her neck and guided her down to sit on the bed. And then I want to get you messy again. Spoiler alert. He does. Oh yeah, he does. I'm very much looking forward to the rest of this series, which will cover a few other classmates who survived that terrible night, all women who are now good friends of Liv, though none of them were ever friends together in um, high school before the tragedy, which I actually kind of liked seeing seeing how something like that could bring together, um, is it four or five very completely different women, and that they've made a friendship as adults. I mean, it's one thing to make friends when we're younger, right, and to carry those friendships into our adult years. It can be hard to keep that friendship going, but the fact that the fact is it's sometimes easier to make friends when we're younger, right? But you ask anyone as an adult, how do you make friends? And it's like, fuck, I don't know. Like, it's harder to do that, right? So I just kind of appreciated that this was newer friendship for these um, women and that that's something that they're still building. And um, I don't know. I just, I liked seeing a slightly different type of friendship dynamic while still getting the thing that I love and don't get nearly enough in romance, good female friendship. So these women have all got their own shit to overcome, and I know I'll probably experience that same heartache before they get their happily ever afters, but I trust Ronnie Lauren, so I'm totally ready for it. I'm just about finished with Down by Contact by Santino Hassel, which comes out on the 16th. I love it so, so, so much. I'm thinking about trying to be a responsible reviewer for once and actually do, you know, a full-on review of it on the blog. We'll see. It depends on, yeah, it just depends. Reviewer's block, you guys. Seriously, it's a thing. Regardless, I will talk about it in some way or another next week. But basically, all you need to know right now is go one-click it. You're welcome. Also, if you haven't read it, you know, read book one. You don't have to read book one to read this one, but book one is amazing too, and Santino Hustle is just amazing in general, so yeah, do yourself a favor, just go one click. After that, I'm going to start another arc, Scoring with the Wrong Twin, by Nayama Simone. I'm probably butchering her name, I am terribly sorry, I'm horrible with names. That also comes out on the 16th. This will be a new author and an author of color, so I'm trying to start my reading year off the right way, if you remember some of my um, goals or resolutions for the year. 
As to my audiobook, I'm almost done with The Highwayman by Kerrigan. Wow, I just spent far too long looking at her name. <laughs> the Highwayman by Kerrigan. You guys, why? this is why I didn't want to do the podcast, because now you know how shitty I am at pronouncing names that I do not hear. Um, I'm enjoying this one anyway. Let's just move along, right? Just this, this fumble didn't happen. Just ignore it. I'm enjoying this one, though, and it's also my first time with this author. Luckily, my library has the rest of this series, at least on audio. I wish they had the ebooks as well, but whatever. Um, I'm sure I'll work my way through the other books eventually because, like I says, I am enjoying it. What about you? Tell me, what are you reading this weekend? I hope it's good, but if it's not, you know I'm always up for a good book rant as well. Also, don't forget my question for you. Do you have any other steampunk, paranormal, historical romances to recommend besides Callahan, Brooks, and McMaster, which I am all in the middle of reading? And the focus of this podcast is talking about the books that I read, and I won't change that um, ever, or at least I don't ever have plans of doing so. But if you have something you'd like me to talk about or to, um, you know, do in future episodes, let me know. And I will try my best to add it in during the weeks when I don't have a whole lot to cover. Kind of like this week, if you notice. It's just like two books. Um, not really anything to talk about from like Twitter stuff. I'm sorry if this was a really boring podcast. I promise I will do better for the rest of the year. Okay, I will try. I can't promise that I will. I promise I will try to do better. I'm setting realistic goals here. Realistic. I hope you enjoyed this week's Whatcha Reading Chat. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful weekend and fall in love with some fantastic books. Until next week, enjoy TBQ.